0: community hey what's up everyone welcome back to another episode of stay curious a podcast where we want to create diversity and thought without creating division and community i am your co-host matt fisher i'm the care pastor here at hill city and i am here as always with my co-host head pastor teaching pastor team member this is an ongoing joke now <laughs> mr john wagler wags what's going on man
1: Ah, uh, so much so much is <laughs> feels going like on. there's a lot
0: there's a lot going
1: on <laughs> No, it's been a a good little season. Um, We got. I'm excited. We get to go to the beach in a couple weeks. Oh, nice! So, like, kind of cap off the summer. So, Mm -hmm. looking forward to that. But it's been a good little season.
0: Get to join all those coastal elites out on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, things. um, It's funny. I somebody asked me the other day how things are, and I never want to be. I don't want to bring it all to the enneagram, but for a four, (laughs) it's always either like you're going to know that I'm not being honest when I say everything's fine yeah. or I'm going to overshare and you're going to be like, this is not what I wanted when I asked (laughs) you how things are going. (laughs) And so I've been trying, but also as I, I've been like meditating a lot on Jesus's words in Matthew of like, well, don't worry about tomorrow. Like tomorrow has its own worries. Today has trouble of its own and trying to live in the moment. So when people are like, how are things going? I'm like, Today they're fine, yeah. But I, and I don't mean that like yesterday yeah. they were terrible or I'm not hopeful for tomorrow. I just like when how'd your week go? That's like a big Sunday, yeah. You know, like you see people yeah. on at church on Sunday yeah. or whatever. How'd your week go? I'm just like I don't I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean that as like a dodge. Like today's fine. I'm, I'm in a you, good
1: spot today. Yeah, <laughs> I can't
0: remember, I, Friday, I don't know how Friday went because <laughs> I'm literally living in the now. <laughs> um, so today we are going to kind of get into a conversation about culture, about Christian or evangelical culture, about the culture wars, about the history mm-hmm. of kind of how we ended up where we're at. Um, and it's all stemmed from um, a couple of sort of pieces of media that we've been consuming um so i'm gonna say them up front <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. there's a book called um uh, what's it called again john
1: it's mark sayers you have the title right in front
0: i didn't i, I uh, closed the tab <laughs> uh, this is real <laughs> this is real like the road trip the road that trip changed to, the world yeah the
1: road trip changed. it's like a super long title yeah. after that though the road trip the road that, yeah the
0: road trip that changed the world by mark sayers and it's basically just about like Sort of the development, I think, of the relationship between modern culture and Christianity. Yeah. is that fair? Yeah, and then um, we've been listening to that Mars Hill podcast. Yes. If you haven't heard the rise and fall of Mars Hill, um, it's a—I mean, it's a great podcast. Like, even yeah, I would recommend it to a friend who like isn't that interested because it's just a good. The story is incredible. Like I mean, a, yeah, it's great. even how it's
1: produced is so good. Yeah, it's yeah. like
0: um, it's one of those things. Um, And then uh, there's the Jesus and John Wayne-like series from Holy Post. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been listening to this podcast called Labeled. There's just a lot that we've been consuming about sort of culture and the church and how we got here. Mm -hmm. So today we're just going to kind of unpack some of that stuff. But before we do, we're going to do our new segment for 2021. All right. So, John, what's going on in your feed?
1: Two things. Um, one, Beth Moore. Oh boy, here she coming back at <laughs> us, coming in super hard. I just love that woman so much, and um, I just want to be just like her. When did now? I because I, like she's like in her sixties.
0: Right. Like I want to be like her now. I said to you the other day, I was like, "When did it become the reality that Beth Moore is more punk rock than I am?" <laughs> boy, she's coming, for. she's coming for. She does not. When give you end any- the tweet.
1: Go ahead. Unfollow me. I don't care. I just, in all caps, I just, I don't know. She's great. And, um, I just, you know, I don't know. I've just been getting into Christian parody a little bit again.
0: Oh, nice. And, um, what, what is it now? I feel like Babylon B tanked. Yeah. 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 Not like that.
1: There's some like funny, um, like I know people have their feelings about John Chris for certain reasons, but, um, honestly, like I'm going to go ahead and believe that he got his life together. (laughs) But, um, He's just funny and um, he does some like super funny things around Christianity. He did this thing this past week in his story. Like, he's in a town for a tour and he's like, convince me the church I need to go to and the denomination that is. So he went to this Anglican church Mm -hmm. and it was just like funny. His like comments on it, he was super encouraging to them. Um, But his one comment to the, (laughs) to the, pastor was he was wearing a white collar and in jeans though mm-hmm. he's like man he's anglican up top and baptist down below <laughs> so, <laughs> jeans on him. but but there's also this other one called um i think it's called like cool carl or mm-hmm. something and he just he's like spoofs about just christian f- Like he does a bunch of youth stuff, and he did this song on Unspoken Prayer Requests that was just like really funny.
0: Have you seen the guy that's like it's like guy with a sign or whatever, (laughs) and the dude just stands in front of his church with signs? (laughs) It's pretty funny on Instagram. Um, My feed has been a lot of Delta variant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, honestly, like I, I refuse to get a TikTok because I literally think TikTok is the devil. It's where the brain goes to die, but. There are some scientists on TikTok that I that I enjoy following on Instagram where they like repost like scientists and and mathematicians and stuff. And so what's in my feed right now is statistical math, (laughs) like just with the Delta variant trying to figure out. I won't go into all of it, but just like trying to figure out like, okay, if you have a room of vaccinated people or a room of unvaccinated people, what's the spread rate? What's the spread rate if it's 70 percent vaccinated? It's just math is not my strong suit. Um, so it's just interesting to like, yeah. I, I would encourage anyone, no matter where you're at to like dive into some of that stuff. Cause it's fascinating. Yeah. Like the way that we can interpret data, data is like poetry. <laughs> like you can literally <laughs> two people can read the same data and it, and like get two completely different things out of it. Yeah. And being able to try to like parse it down to like, here's what it really means outside of like how we feel about it is like a task that I don't envy any math, any like. Yeah, but you know, those people are wired that way. They I know, love it. Robot people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. Well, so we are going to take a short break and then chat a little bit about um, just kind of some of the nuances and history of the relationship between culture, Christianity, and where the church is at over the last 80 years. <laughs> Y'all know we stay curious over Here, 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 here. here. All right. So, John, you have been reading a book and you've been posting about it a lot, and you're not a poster. So, when you post about things, (laughs) I feel like it warrants conversation. Tell us a little bit about this book that you've been reading. It's called "The Road Trip That Changed the World," mm-hmm. the unlikely. This is the whole title: "The Unlikely Theory That Will Change How You View Culture, the Church, and Most Importantly Yourself." And it's by a guy named Mark Sayers, who also wrote "Disappearing Church" and "Reappearing Church," yeah. which are also, I assume, on your recommended list of. Yeah, books. they're good. Yeah, we yeah, read yeah. them as a staff. Yeah, um, and it's just been sort of like you know, we were talking about what are we going to talk about on the podcast today? And um, we're sh- sort of struggling with that. And then suddenly I was just like, dude, you're thinking about this a lot. Why don't we just talk about that? So I just kind of want to open it up for you to have, you know, more than however many characters you can fit yeah. on an Instagram story. Um, for us to t- chat about kind of like culture and what this book and, and some other media recently um, has got you thinking about.
1: Yeah, so Mark Sayers is a pastor out in Australia. And, um, and so what I appreciate about him is he's got this like uncanny way of like looking into culture and where it's going and, and why it's there. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't just kind of look at what's happening. He, he can like, he kind of reads the tea leaves really well, but he, he's such a, um, he's like a savant Mm -hmm. with like the thinkers of the past. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't just, you know, write about, this is what's happened in the last 15 years. It's like, no, you, you got to look at all these connection points that have happened over time and which was kind of built in this like new, like different way of thinking or this shift in thinking or whatever. And so he does this in just a really kind of approachable way in all of his writings. And even in his podcast, I've always like appreciated, um, he did a podcast with John Mark Comer called this cultural moment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was really good. Just like, as they began to like discuss so many things and like, he's the kind of guy that, um, he sees all this stuff happening in China. And so he again, I just can't imagine my brain working this way because it just doesn't. Yeah. But like he's like, I'm gonna learn everything about China. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so he like he becomes like essentially like this incredible student of all things China. And um so through that he's like been able to like see some things that are gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he wrote this book um, in 2015. And so this isn't, an, you know, yeah. he didn't just write it. He wrote it in 2015. And and so and it's funny, like I was thinking about when I was approaching the book, I was like, man, 2015 felt so good, mm-hmm. you know, like in the scheme of yeah. things. I know Boy, it wasn't. remember that. <laughs> but um, but anyway, he wrote it then. And there's just some things even in the book that he begins to kind of touch on that were like, man, these are coming to full fruition now mm-hmm. that we're not necessarily public realities back mm-hmm. then, yeah. you know, where we where we were headed. And so I don't know, I just appreciate his writings and I appreciate how he thinks and I appreciate the way he introduces subject matter that we don't necessarily get into just in common like thought. Mm-hmm. And so yes, this book has just kind of like you're right. I don't post a ton. Um just, I'm like sporadic poster. Mm-hmm.
0: Um You're a lurker. You're always watching. I'm watching. But um <laughs>
1: I, you know, I, my, my social media engagement has gone way down just for, just because I think it's better for me. Um, but two, it's also been, um, sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to take the time to do it. There are things I would like to do, but I just want to take the time. Yeah. And, um, and so like sometimes on, when I go on vacation, actually, like if I'm sitting on the beach, I will often yeah. like do a post like almost every day of just like, here's what I'm thinking mm. just because I have time, you yeah. know, to sit on the beach.
0: Because <laughs> you don't have weights in both hands, <laughs> yeah. which is where you do most of your thinking. That's
1: right. Um, but anyway, there, so this book has just been really cool. And it's actually tying into our Mark series a lot. In mm-hmm. um, you know, in um, in Mark chapter four, I wrote this down, he, that um, Jesus is talking about the keys of the kingdom. and um, And he's like, man, for some people, they're going to get it. To others is gonna be in these parable forms that they don't understand. Mm. And when you don't understand it, it's because you're just kinda of lost. Yeah. You know? And then and then in Mark chapter eight, um, he asked this question of the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask him for a sign and Jesus' response is, mm-hmm. Why does this generation look for a sign? Mm. And um and it was just this way of him saying like Why, why, why am I always having to constantly prove myself to you? And why are you not seeing the realities of what is around you? Mm -hmm. You know, and so when I started reading this book, I'm like, it just reminded me of those two passages so much that you know we worked through. I didn't actually even like really preach on either one of those passages, Mm -hmm. but it reminded me so much of like even right now. It's like, man, I think Jesus would say the same thing. Why is this generation like? Why are they? Why do they need a sign? Yeah, you know, so. Anyway, so this book, like, begins to touch in, in a bunch of different things about this cultural and self-awareness and and stuff that has just been really cool.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So it kind of um, – what do you think it, it has – something about it has struck a chord with you that feels like it's beyond – like, it reminds me of the sermon that I'm preaching. It yeah. reminds me yeah. of this book in Mark. What is applicably – like, how – what is it about this book that right now or like maybe over the last yeah, yeah four years yeah. or whatever makes it feel like this is important? Because you also – you don't always send things to me like, hey, you should read this too because yeah. Um, yeah. we have very different reading lists. But you did with this one. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read it yet. But um, what is it about this that, that like down to the brass tacks seems so applicable and is like sticking with you?
1: Um I think it's multiple things. One, the obsession with like self-actualization and self-awareness that we have now. And there's some good mm-hmm. about that. So I'll I'll get that in a second. Um the uh deconstructive element that we see in so many people's faith. Mm-hmm. Um uh he touches so much on uh, he does this he talks about how like the symbol of America is the picture of a road going off into the horizon, mm. you know, and, um, that we've embraced that. He was like, think about how many commercials, like, that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's like, get on the road and yeah. like head and explore and mm-hmm. do all this stuff. And like your next experience is waiting for you. The next, you know, wow moment, right. like all these different things. And so it were, it's those things and how they tie into our faith mm-hmm. and how we've been essentially discipled by, whether it's social media or marketing, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think I think what why it's grabbed me so much is because um, I, it, there are conversations I keep thinking about, and and honestly, you and I have had conversations with some of the same people or some some mm-hmm. some of the same conversations around faith, and and they keep in this kind of like same circle of mm-hmm. like thoughts and reasons and. Um, and, and this book touches on all of those and but not just in a way of like, hey, it's cool if you doubt like you know right. it's like I, w- I want to point to the reason that it's there and why that's being shaped in that way. And so there's some of those elements in the book that's just kind of been like i I want people to read this because of how much it's playing into how we see the world around us, how we're experiencing God or not experiencing mm-hmm. God and um, or what we, maybe we've built our faith on you know and so there's just some he even has a chapter just called the california self mm-hmm. and um, i just thought it was like a cool chapter it's it's like four pages long mm-hmm. but he begins to describe this movement and desire of the coasts mm-hmm. and um what the coasts do to us and so he references new york as well but yeah. in particular california like what does it mean to go out west mm-hmm. what does it mean and, and think about I. Just, think about how many people we've seen post pictures over the years of social media of like, man, I'm at the beaches and look at the waves mm-hmm. and it's like, I should be here and it, right. but he goes into why we think that mm. and how that's actually not a good thing and yeah. uh, and so there's some things that he touches on that I'm like, man, people need to read this in particular, those that are um in a state of like wandering mm-hmm. and in a like, whether that's physically or emotionally or spiritually, um, I, he taps into a lot of things of like why we get to those places.
0: Where does he say like the self-discovery thing really starts to come in? In my head, it's the 60s, right? Um, and sort of new, not just new age, but I know he talks a little bit um, about, and then also they talk about it in the Mars Hill podcast that mm-hmm. everybody's listening to. Yeah. They talk about this this idea of the self-help culture integrating with church culture yep. on the West Coast, yep. right? Coastal, you think about. For sure. Um, for those of you who don't know, like the Crystal Cathedral <laughs> was like yeah. is very much like a grandfather of, of where we're all at, um, especially in non-denominational yep. world and no modern doubt. church. And um, does he kind of start to pinpoint, is it the beatniks? Is it the hippies? Like kind of give us the cartoon version or the easy version of what he's saying about when did we start – when did we kind of stop being a um, – Religion and start being a self-help cultural yeah. center.
1: Um, that, that's part of the reason why I thought you would love the book because we've talked about this yeah. stuff before. Oh, um, I'm going to love the book because <laughs> he he goes into it. He he talks about yeah. how right after World War II, um, what the veterans brought back mm. was this level of um, excessive drinking, um, sex, this wartime yeah. thinking. Um, but because so many veterans came back. It infused culture, and because the celebration of what happened, that began to reshape Mm -hmm. um, how people thought about just general like politics, how people thought about Mm -hmm. their faith, interactive with people, how people thought about drinking and sex and all stuff, and that began this shift. It wasn't immediate in like this, you know, like huge wave like we see now, but. It was just like those little things that started happening, and and even like prior to World War II, the attachment of Christianity and the in mm-hmm. uh, the church and like politics and war and so was not there. It was it was post World War II yeah. that all this stuff started happening, and so um, he gets into um, some of the books that were written. One was called On the Road, mm-hmm. and um, and then uh, then in the '60s is where things really started. Taking off, where yeah. this exploration, and he talks about how the baby boomers—they um, were the first generation that was radically different than the generations before them. Mm. It had been like hundreds of years since that had actually happened, right. and um, and so when that when that process happened, so the boomers really discuss like all the people right now. It's kind of funny, and we had that email that came in, yeah. you know, um, from our friend Carol who. Um, you know, she was like describing, she's like, let me tell you all like what the boomers were actually like in right. there in she's <laughs> spot on, yeah. you know? And, um, because right now, like all the young people are like, Oh, the boomers did this, but, yeah. but they're like,
0: but I when mean, we were your age, we were <laughs> way wilder than <laughs> you are. Yeah.
1: So, but anyway, yeah, it was from the sixties of like yeah. this, this way of thinking about, um, the self and self-help and exploring in mm. this um, thinking that you're going to find the next transcendent moment mm-hmm. on your next experience, and you're asking to experience all these things in life that that can't give you that only God can, mm-hmm. and so that's it started then. Yeah.
0: How has it made you as the you know leader of a of a church, a non denominational church, right, or like mm-hmm. non? Where I would say we're fairly non liturgical. We're not. Sure. We're not. What you we would you call our our high own church. liturgy? Right. Yeah. Or we, we have I mean, our own liturgy. Yeah. Sure. Um. You know. How has it made you feel challenged? Because certainly, an Anglican or Catholic priest could walk into our church and just be like, "Well, yeah, you guys are like a self-help. You know, <laughs> you you guys are totally perpetrating this thing that you're talking about. You guys, this is just a." There, there was the quote that you um, you posted a couple of quotes mm-hmm. from. Was he a sociologist? It seemed like his name was weird, so he must have been from another country yeah. out of the book. Yes, um, and he's he, Muslim w- from Egypt, right? Yeah. And he kind of came in and was looking over American. Christian culture and was just like this is what is this
1: yeah yeah essentially he was I'm paraphrasing but the American church is fixated on entertainment yeah and um, not worship yeah
0: so for you how has it made you feel challenged of of like how are maybe we Hill City or just like we non denominational churches um, or or like non we have our own liturgy but you know not not high church is what they call it yeah yeah. Um, has it made you kind of think through like some of that stuff and, and feel challenged
1: it for sure. And I mean, I would say this though, Lacey and I have been challenged about this for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and because our, if left to our own devices, like we are, we are drawn to entertainment. Like we, Mm -hmm. you know, we did youth ministry for years also. So like we're drawn to the fun parts. We're drawn to celebratory things. We're drawn to like, like helping people have a good time, all that yeah. stuff. A lot, so of,
0: lot of pizza parties and three-legged races. Yeah. We're like, we're like yeah. naturally drawn right. to yeah.
1: Like we like to build memory, and those are good things. Yeah. Like they're, I'm not, sure. like even when we just did the no Olympics. Yeah. Those are things that stick with people. I mean, if know? I
0: didn't feel safe and have fun at church as a kid, I probably wouldn't be sitting yeah. here right
1: now. Yeah. But I even feel like as an adult, yeah. you know, it's like there's an element of like, I take my faith very seriously, but I also want to have fun with mm-hmm. it, you know? So um, yeah, I've, I've been convicted by that. Um, I think thinking through, you know, the purpose of certain things we may or may not do. Um, and just really trying to process like, Hey, when people come out of our church, what are we actually producing? And this, mm. this is part of the pandemic. And this is, um, you're not, not a lot of people know this part of the story about our discipleship development program, mm. but, um, that started because I had a dream. Mm. Um, when I was preaching through the sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. um, this was a couple of years ago now. It was during January, I think, of 2019. Yeah. I think, um, if my memory serves me right. But um, I had a dream um, about the passage in Matthew 7 where um, uh, people go will eventually stand before Jesus. And to some, he'll say, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And they was like, But we did this stuff in your name. He's like, Yeah, but I never actually but, knew yeah, you.
0: They said, But you say, Lord, Lord. Yeah. And yet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so
1: um, I, in my dream, I'm standing next to Jesus. And every time a Hill City person came up mm-hmm. and he looked at them and he said um, to, to those to those Hill City people that he said, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. Some Hill City people got in mm-hmm. some people. He said, um, I never knew you. He would turn to me and he would say, where were you on that? Mm. And so um, so <laughs> which is like. This is like some of the stuff that I just go through as a pastor sometimes mm-hmm. like and feel the weight of that people don't ever know about, yeah. you know, but um, and so I woke up and like literally I was my heart's beating so fast mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not even like figurative. I'm literally sweating mm-hmm. just from like a stress you know, in my dream. Mm-hmm. And, um, whether that was a vision or not, I'm not even yeah. either way. I had the dream. It's the
0: most Enneagram three vision. If it was, <laughs> yeah. this is your fault. <laughs> yes. What were you? Why didn't you win at getting everybody in?
1: <laughs> but what ended up happening was that moment triggered this larger conversation with Lacey and I about, Hey, what are we producing and mm-hmm. what do we want the main thing to be? Mm-hmm. And, um, we can do fun really well. We can do that in our sleep, you know, and we can do that well. Um, and that's always going to be a part of us, no matter what we do. I don't care how old I'll be. We'll, we'll always have that piece, but, but what we want to produce and what the fruit we want is what actually triggered the, the in-depth discipleship. So that's what we want to be known for.
0: Yeah. One thing about some of the stuff you posted from this book and then how it's related to a lot of the conversations we're having right now. When I say we, I mean podcasts that everybody's listening to. So it's like, you're, you're reading through this book. Um, if you haven't listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill yet, um, (laughs) we're officially sponsored by them probably at this point. Um, and, and it talks about, obviously it's not just about Mars Hill. It does a great job of going all the way back to Billy Graham, who a big, a big thing that they point out was that, um, that he went and, uh, you know, evangelized to the troops, which I don't, you know, whatever, I I don't know if it was intentional or not, but Whether he intentionally or unintentionally did it, he sort of militarized evangelical ministry at that point. I don't
1: think – I will say this, not to interrupt your thought, but I don't think he did that on purpose. I think that was a –
0: Yeah. Well, I think think the best of Billy Graham. Yeah. Um, And uh, so there's the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill thing. There's this book you're reading. There's the Jesus and John Wayne series that the Holy Post Mm -hmm. did and then i'm actually listening to a podcast that's very tangentially related but it's called labeled and it's basically like the oral history of like christian alternative christian rock basically but like the this this really kooky but now very normalized idea that there's like oh if you like metallica you should listen to <laughs> living sacrifice or right, like you know yeah, if you yeah. like this you should listen to grits or whatever um this idea of like of a parallel pop culture that's exclusively christian all four of these things all start with something I'd never really thought about, which is that like just like the Catholic Church has a history, just like the Baptist Church has a history just the evangelical church like the non-denominational church mm-hmm. as much as we want to be defined by not being part of something yeah we have a history totally like it goes back pretty much to the 50s or 60s post-world War II yeah like Crystal Cathedral I'm just learning about this yeah it very much ties into that thing about like going to the coasts. And very much the West Coast, like so much of what we engage in that we don't even sometimes think about just like how our worship is and what the music's like and like long messages, the concept of a mess. <laughs> For those of you who didn't grow up Catholic or Episcopal or, or like more, again, high church, homilies are like 10 minutes long. <laughs> like that's only 10 or 15 minutes of a, of a mass, which is an hour long, you know, yeah. this idea of like long preaching. And even even more old school Pentecostal or charismatic, it was more singing and dancing uh, than it was preaching.
1: Well, I grew up old school Pentecostal. We had both. Really? It, we had hour and forty five minute services.
0: And how much so, of it was a was a message?
1: Oh, they go forty five to an hour easy.
0: And do you and you don't feel like that was a result of sort of some of the stuff we're learning about from the fifties and sixties?
1: No, I think it was. I mean, I think that was part of the, the yeah. culture. I I do think. I mean, I heard it growing up several times. Like you know, whether that was like. Preachers coming through, yeah. like you know, whatever on revivals or whatever, and those guys would speak an hour and fifteen, yeah, you know, plus, and I, they would say things like, "You think this is long? Like, remember when Paul preached and, oh yeah, so, yeah, someone di- fell out, <laughs> fell asleep and died, and right. <laughs> they had to raise him from the dead, yeah. and went back and started preaching again? Yeah. You know, like there. So I, yeah, I agree with you. Like, there's like the ten minute hom- homily, and but there is like a history here mm. about the the development of the a- evangelical faith that. I don't think a lot of evangelical people understand and I didn't, know I had no and, idea. And what shaped certain things yeah. and um in in the level to which it did. You know, and um even like when you look at the Mars Hill podcast or stuff that happened at Willow Creek or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, some of the leadership models and some different things too. Like there's just some there's some things that are important for people to engage. Mm-hmm. You know, um you brought up Billy Graham. Yeah. You know, Billy Graham was known for all of his great revivals and Known for millions and literally millions and millions and millions of people coming to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, um, but he later in his later years, you know, he started to like pivot a little bit on some of the things that he had done. And uh, there was an interview I read of him and he was asked the question, how many people do you think that went down and said they gave their life to Christ? How many people do you think it was actually legitimate? And, And this was like shocking to hear Billy Graham say this, but he was just like, maybe 25%. Wow. You know, so, so like there's, but yet, you know, we, a lot of times like an evangelical church, and I, I went to a Billy Graham thing, you know, mm-hmm. so like you would, you would think, oh my gosh, those thousands that just came there, all of them are good, but Billy Graham would actually later in his life say,
0: mm, mm, probably not, probably not, you know? <laughs> really? And so,
1: um, yeah, there's, there, there are things that have shaped the evangelical system, mm-hmm. And, and sometimes the evangelical monster, yeah. um, that are not good. Yeah. And we got to know where they came from and what it's played into. So was, like, to your point about the self-help stuff and right. everything, um, and the crystal cathedral, that's been fascinating to learn about that. Yeah. And no idea and, yeah. all the way
0: over here on the other coast. We yeah. don't really yeah. know much about it, but I think that it seems interesting to me because all this stuff is kind of now this book was written in 2015, but yeah. like all of these other podcasts and stuff, it all is kind of coming out at the same time. And it feels like, I'd love your feedback on this, whatever you think about it, it feels like um the Trump administration or like that cultural shift that's happened this last four years is, I think some would say the death knell of, you know, evangelical culture. Some would say just like a blip, but it's kind of hard to ignore that there's some sort of cap or like some sort of like it was like a stop on a train track, you know, like a, a bus stop mm-hmm. where it's almost like it marked, okay, there's enough of it now that we have a history. Like, this is a thing now. It's its own, Yeah. It's its own denomina- you know, non-denomination is its own denomination, or like evangelical is its own Catholic church, you know? Yeah. Just like we can sit around and talk about like, well, there was the Crusades and the Inquisition sure. and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. It's kind of like or evangelical culture, something to do with the Trump era, um, and everybody probably has their own take on that, um some but something about the last four years has made it so it's like, okay, there's enough water in the jar mm-hmm. that we can now assess. Or would, we're gonna start assessing. Maybe we should have yeah. started
1: sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree. I think that there's um and, and also and we know this, but like we're not saying all evangelicals are bad or like no. you know what I mean, like I all that stuff. But but, but it, there's a bad history and there's some bad elements that have produced yeah, some I, bad rotten fruit. I
0: just think that it's become like before we get into all that, I think it's just now we're basically realizing that um, there are more people—the idea of evangelicalism was really—it's it's like the term Protestant. Mm-hmm. For a while, it was like, well, people are still primarily Catholic. So Protestants are, are defined by their protest, by their protestant, you know? Yeah. But now, for evangelicals, it's like we've reached the point that that used to be a catch-all term for you're not Methodist, Episcopal, Anglican, Catholic— now there's more people outside the wall than there is inside the castle. Does yeah. that make sense like the And totally. so now we're our own we we've now become our own thing. Yep. Like
1: we have enough data now to look back at Some might say, you know, early 1900s, but even if we just said from post-World War II to now, so 19, what was it, 1947, is that right? Um, To now, we have enough data to begin to say, like, we have enough history and enough information to look at the good and the bad of the evangelical movement. And I do believe we hit, like, the historical point that people are going to look at in the evangelical movement, it will be the last four years that we went through because of what happened between this attachment to the evangelical Christian community to an administration. Um, And listen, what I'm about to say is not about politics in terms of like what what law is good or bad. I'm just saying to an administration that did not represent anything close to Jesus Mm -hmm. and represented all the things Jesus like would say are evil. Right. And so, so I think when this marriage happened in that way, um, that this was like a kind of a capstone to that because, what we'll see is if you kind of peel back some layers to the post-World War II where you're going through and you're talking about what came back in this marriage of like country and flag and yeah. and God and all this other stuff, what that built in the front end, it felt good. Mm-hmm. But then what did that start to build in within people? And yeah. then you bring in to your point the sixties and this exploration and all this other stuff. But then there was like the sixties were also rife with like the Jesus movement. And there was this combination of self expert, you know, exploring yourself and figuring out yourself and transcendent things with also this like mystical Jesus thing that's happening in this Pentecostal charismatic Jesus movement to, um, this idea of being a wanderer and all this, Mm -hmm. like all these things are merging into like, they became the leaders of the evangelical movement. Like so many of the people that we talk about were part of the Jesus movement and the kind of hippie movement and everything. And then you get into the seventies with this moral majority in the eighties and, um, in this, everything starts getting convoluted. And then within the church, the self help, like level of, Um, teachings and everything. It was more about making you feel good than the realities of stuff. And then the leadership models that began to get in play and this merger of business and church became like through Willow Creek in Mm. particular um, became like a a much bigger deal. So all these things like started combining and then that started grow. Everything started growing, um, let alone the natural pressures and temptations of the world are always there. Mm. And so within the evangelical movement in particular, those things just started getting worse, mm-hmm. and we, we do have. I think we reached a point. Um, I would say nine eleven in is a significant point too, because yeah. um, I, a lot of people don't remember this part. But um, like in in the documents, Shane Claiborne talks a lot a lot about this, and this is why I say this was a point where where a lot of Christians started feeling like a little restlessness. Mm-hmm. Not a not the majority, just some restlessness, um, because some of the documents that were, um, part of, of bombing other people mm-hmm. had scripture verses on top mm-hmm. of it. And, um, and so, um, this is not at all to slight a veteran or slight, I'm not, I'm not trying to slight anyone like militarized. I'm just talking about theologically. Right. And, um, and what ended up happening was there a lot of Christians that were just like, whoa, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> this isn't good. And, and Shane Claiborne actually talked about like, Hey, Um, he went over to Iraq immediately and, um, and he talked about how he talked to some Christians in Iraq Mm -hmm. who were like, we can't believe that your Christians are celebrating the bombing of other Christians in Iraq and the killings of Iraq. And I get that not everyone were Christians, but like they he talks about how he's talking to this one family who they they were not happy about the war either on their side mm-hmm. but he was talking about how they had a couple of sons who were christians who were in the iraqi army and and how they couldn't fathom the thought that that jesus was really cool with the fact that there would be christian soldiers on american side and christian iraqi soldiers trying to kill one another in right. the sake of nationalism yeah. and so and they were like this is not right and so i think some people started seeing Some holes in some of this. And, but, but the problem was not enough people were like taking the steps Mm. in the other direction, right? So, so then it just keeps piling on to what we got. Yeah. To no matter what you think about the Trump administration, here's what I know Um, Jesus did not die and resurrect, so people could throw a cross up at white house so people could sing worship songs and do things that have that do not represent him whatsoever Mm -hmm. right like so 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 it just got it just got really twisted yeah and i think that's i i think when um people talk about the wrong side history all the time Mm i i think i could be wrong on this Mm -hmm. but i think 20 years from now 30 years from now when we're all old old um we're going to look at this point in time and we're going to see like theologically and following Jesus. I think a lot of people claiming you're on the wrong side of history. It's going to be for the wrong things. Right. Like, I think we're going to look back at this season of Christian life and be like, Whoa, man, that, that was a season we were on the wrong side of mm. like Jesus history right there.
0: Yeah. How do you think the like, um, it's funny, in the Jesus and John Wayne thing, they talk a lot about the different sort of, like, boogeymen. And, like, in our CRT yeah. episode, we talked a lot about how CRT is, you know, a new boogeyman in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, it was kind of like the Russians were the boogeymen or the communists during the Cold War, and then it became, you know, the Taliban mm-hmm. um, during 9-11 was the boogeyman. But, like, in between, um, I don't know why Saddam Hussein wasn't a... Uh, efficient enough boogeyman <laughs> um for people but like in between were the were when the culture wars really happened when um the boogeyman became pop c- culture music oh, movies yeah. video burning games CDs and all that right stuff, yeah. yeah burning cds and stuff what do you think it is um for us as being sort of like, like we don't really remember the Cold War that much. I mean, like, you know, you remember when the wall came down and stuff, but you don't, it didn't form you as a teenager, right? Yeah. Me and me neither. Um, What do you think it is as sort of like people who were raised in the culture war part of, Mm -hmm. of evangelical history um, that affects us as a church, like as church leaders?
1: I think so I would say this actually even goes back to the early 1900s with William Jennings Bryant mm-hmm. and the um, conversation around evolution being ah, taught in church. That and was very so, much a culture war. Yeah, That's a good thought. So, yeah. um, anyway, I, fear is a powerful motivator, and I think when, I mean, look at every political ad, right? It's all basic It's all fear based, yeah. right? So, so I think when. We are raised in a system of fear. To which, um, part of like the Boomer's generation, as much as they had the exploration part mm-hmm. of of that, and um, kind of the rebellious spirit. the The reality is, is every Boomer was raised in fear. Yeah, that Russia was coming. That you know, Cuba was going to yeah, launch missile. Yep, the missile. Yeah. The bomb, like this is what you do with the bomb. Like during yep. school, if the if the yeah. bomb's coming, nuclear war is coming. Like, <laughs> go hide under here. <laughs> you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're raised on that. And so then what was taking place, even in sermons, if you go back into um, 60s, 70s, 80s preaching, it was so fear-based, not all of it, but like there was a heavy amount of it. And so you're always leveraged against something or someone else. And, And so that level of fear gets ingrained in a culture and in particular church culture, then the end result is you're going to be drawn to that and you get fixated on the fear rather than the faith you have in Jesus. Yeah. And so some of it even feels like natural because, like, I get it. Like, I mean, if there's, like, if they're like, a nuclear war is imminent, let's say. Yeah. I get it why you would talk about it, right? And, like, but it also was starting to happen was then you had these preachers being, like, seeing Revelation, like, the land from the north is, and the land from the north yeah. is Russia. And then all these signs are already fulfilled. And, and, and it's like, so then they leveraged all of that to try and prove something, which is happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've seen people um, who are really into the QAnon stuff, like, you know, post things like, if you ever wondered what's like to be in a biblical prophecy, you're living in one now. And mm-hmm. every time I say that, I want to like prove it.
0: Yeah. Also prophecy is not fortune telling. That's <laughs> expressly uh spoken yes. against in the Old apocalyptic
1: <laughs> writing is not about fortune telling. Right. But anyway, yeah. Um, so I think that's there.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it makes me wonder, bear with me. Um, first off, it's hilarious because I think it was Brian McLaren that used to say, the history of the church is the history of people missing the point. <laughs> like, if you ever want to like, from, from right about Constantine all the way to today, it's a history of people missing the point. And it's hilarious because it's like my new favorite like quippy like idiom, you know, about the Bible is, you know, the most repeated phrase in the Bible is, do not fear or right. fear not. Yeah. So if you're working out of fear, stop. Yeah. and rethink it literally the whole point of the idea that death isn't the end is to take your fear away because ultimately <laughs> what we're all afraid of is death Correct. right? Of yeah. our own mortality so it's just hilarious that <laughs> we continue to be motivated by fear despite jesus kind of in some ways in the bible as as the inspired word of god kind of had an attitude of like look if you take one thing away from my saying from what i'm saying is don't be afraid like yeah. don't work out of fear right um, so it's always been a thing and it's always a point that we seem to have somehow missed, um, probably because we don't want to be martyred. But uh, <laughs> hear me out. Let's tease this out a little bit. So I heard you say that like in from the in 80s into the 90s and with Willow Creek and, and some of these other big – it's when the business world or like Mm -hmm. the business models started to really marry themselves to the church in a way that at the time seemed effective. Yeah. Um, And it was. And it was. Yeah. Well, let's put the word effective on trial.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think again, this is part of like the nuance of things, right? Like there, even in this Mars Hill podcast that we're listening to, um, even though Willow Creek had, Hybels, who was their Bill Hybels was their leader and he had an epic fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. We can't ignore the thousands of people that also had some epic moments with Jesus and yeah. came to incredible faith and did some awesome things. Yeah. So anyway.
0: Well, the lesson of the cross, though, is that like God redeems terrible things. Totally. So yes, we, can, we can say that. So I guess what I'm kind of getting at is business, especially like a Western business model, mm-hmm. I won't say the C word, um, the Western business model is growth-oriented. It's yeah. not what yeah. you're good at, it's how much can you sell, yeah. right? Um, and in some ways, it's what you're good at, but it's like it's a growth model, like the rising tide raises all ships. Mm-hmm. So we marry that to the church. Well, the easy, not even the easiest, the best way to grow to maximum amount is fear. Like that's what we learn from news media, like peddling fear is... Especially like you remember in the eighties, where all of a sudden everybody had to have flame retardant pajamas. How many? I mean, God be with the people who lost their children to the fire, but like, sure, how many kids were really like, yeah, like couldn't we have made safer safety belts or you know, like it's yeah. it's a fear peddling thing. So the the quickest way to growth is to peddle fear. And so once the business model is married to the church and it becomes a growth oriented model, eventually maybe not at first, maybe at first it's more about like being a better person or learning more about Jesus or whatever. But eventually if the growth has to continue, you're going to give into the, the, the temptation to peddle fear Yeah, because you want to keep growing and fear is the fear is the way to do that. That's like, that's what we see. That's why there's not a lot of news channels that are just like, well, we're going to do the good news today. It's like, yeah. Well, that's not going to sell ad space. Yeah. Um, well,
1: yeah. yeah. So I would say this to the growth model. Um, you're right. I mean, I think that there's a level of, uh, if you want to keep growing that's like well how are we going to pay for this and how are we going to like it become fear of the budget fear of yeah. you know your image fear of all those things there is this delicate balance there though that i think is also important part of the reason that the business model came a little bit more into the fold was because of how poorly churches were run hmm. um, and they were suffering because of that hmm. and part of the reason why the leadership like a focus on leadership came in is because of how poor the leadership you know, of yeah. like a lot of the priests were, and a lot of you know pastors were at that point in time, and so there, so there were reasons some of these things came into play, and and plus, quite frankly, like think about the growth model, um, like even for us, we want to reach as many people in Richmond as we possibly can because we like, like if, if, it would be like saying like if you had a good product, you you do want it to grow, right. <laughs> like you do want it to like reach people, yeah. you know, but the the part that gets twisted so quickly to your point is it becomes about, I've even like thought about recently, um, whether or not we should even count the amount of people that come to church. Interesting. Um, Ooh, revolutionary. And I know it just sounds like silly, but I'm like, what would you know, Joe do on a Sunday? I know we need to count money because you have to count money. Yeah, we have to know. Um, I think we count just people in discipleship because that's an important, tangible thing of what people are going through mm-hmm. for us. But I just started to I'm like should I even care about how many people are actually coming to our church? Like in Mm -hmm. terms of like the number on a Sunday, Mm -hmm. Um, because when it becomes about a number on a Sunday, you become more about the number than you do about the people Mm -hmm. like at the heart, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if we started caring less about the number of people and just wanted to be like, no, we've prayed over the service. We Mm -hmm. want the spirit of God to move and we're, you know, we are prepped to do this Mm -hmm. and what we do. Um, then we just kind of like let the spirit do what its spirit does, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and the temptation is, it's never the thing that's bad. It's always the ordering. Like yeah. we always go back to sin is disordered desire, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not that the thing itself is bad. It's the ordering it, disordering yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I guess growth's not bad, but what ends up happening a lot of the time is if it becomes the number one thing. Then you get into a mindset of the ends justify the means. And that's always the worst. The worst. The ends never justify the means.
1: (laughs) And that's where these epic falls happen. That's why these people get um, the celebrity culture of pastors, like all that stuff.
0: Because then it's like, well, we have the gospel. It's a good product. We want everybody to hear it. Yeah. And, you know, if again, going back to the 80s, like if, you know, if we have to start convincing people that their children, you know, watching Disney movies is going to make them whatever (laughs) you know or whatever like crazy you know that if we have to convince everybody that all the preschools are being run by satanists or whatever to get them to come and hear the gospel then like let's just do that because the ends justify the means and it's like no well
1: it's like it's what's happening like there's this i i want to say pastor but actually he's a heretic and a (laughs) false prophet but like um there's this man who has a church
0: um there's a man who has a (laughs) gathering
1: (laughs) that is like doing the stuff with masks and he's like Oh yeah. This is another yeah. case of like Satan doing this. He's, all he's he's a fear-based preacher.
0: If you come if you come to our service We're going to like, kick you out and like I wonder if Shane went Shane to go. <laughs>
1: Um but it's like manipulating people. It's fear-based. Right. There's nothing gospel in Christ-centered about it. And um and so I think that there's like that's still here. You know, and it's still a part of like the flow. Listen, Jesus was very concerned for the lost. Mm-hmm. We cannot get away from that. That is a part, a vibrant part of the entire New Testament is the lost. And so and when I say the lost, it's that's not a negative term. That's just right. like essentially people that need hope and purpose yeah. and like a home where they need to be. And um, so we can't get away from that. And if we're going to reach the lost here, like we'll just use us as an example, we're going to grow. Mm-hmm. Right. But the heart is... Got to be in the right place,
0: right? You always have to be ready not to grow, yeah, or ready for people to leave. I love the Greg Boyd has that great story about his church, which is still growing and, and large. But when he gave the sermon about you know the myth of a Christian nation, a thousand people walked out, yeah, and like that's wild. I mean, I it's don't wild, want to like deify him, but like, yeah, that's a pretty wild yeah. thing to do. Um, especially then, that was like that was pre. Trump. That was in oh, the middle yeah, of Obama. Way, and that yeah, yeah. was you know, a long time ago. That was when 9-11 was still stinging real bad. I've um, often
1: reflected on John 6 mm-hmm. where Jesus, you know, talks, he's talking about to his disciples and he uses this example, you got to, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah. And which obviously sounds like bizarre language. Cannibalism. And, um, but he, he turns to people at that point in time. They're like, this is too hard. And, um, he's just like, Yep. Yep. And I, and I actually think um, the fear-based model is easy. Mm-hmm. It's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the buying into power structures is easy. It's not Jesus. And I think this level of, um, to some degree, some of the deconstruction that we see with people and the floating and the wandering and all this other stuff, that's easy. It's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that there's an element that we got to get kind of pressed in to Christian, um, and, in what I hope is a new wave of Christianity is coming. I I really do believe that actually I'm Mm -hmm. way more hopeful there. Um, and that there's this level that getting back to some of the words that should describe us, like, I don't know, obedience, (laughs) I don't don't know, a passion, a seriousness, a foundational element, you know, and, um, and so I, I think that there, I'm hope I'm hoping that's where we're going back to, mm-hmm. after the carnage that we've seen in this season.
0: Yeah, and that's a I think the easiness of it, right? That's mm-hmm. what we're constantly, all of human history at its worst is always moving toward what's easier. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean you have like you know you don't need to self-flagellate. You don't need to <laughs> intentionally, whatever, like beat yeah. up on yourself or whatever. It's not about that at all. No, but you know what is. <laughs> What is right and what is easy is rarely the same. That's yeah. Albus Bryan, Percival Wulfric Dumbledore. <laughs> May I remind you of the words of Dumbledore? But it's true. Like what, and you can in any good writing, right? Whatever's true somewhere is true everywhere. Yeah. Um, if it feels easy, if you're honest with yourself, which I think that's a big thing, is that people aren't able to be honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, this thing, you know, like not not being part of an intentional community is hard. It's like, but. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're honest with yourself isn't it the easier thing and probably not the right thing. Yeah. Um so people you, know, you just got to keep working on that. But I think you know to kind of wrap up because we've gone a while talking about this. Um I think it's a good it's always, you know, revelation, apocalypse literally means a revealing a reveal, of, of yeah. the truth and like that's where we're at now mm-hmm. and I think that that's a good thing even though it feels very hard. Um and I think one of the truths that we're really revealing is the ends cannot justify the means yeah. in a Christ-like or, or, in a, or in a Christian context. Like if you, if if the goal is to follow Christ, the ends never justified the means. Yeah. How, why you did a thing is just as important as what you did, and so that especially I think applies to the gospel. Yeah, for sure. And how you how you spread it. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, thanks to everyone for joining us. Um, if you have questions, quips, comments, or quotes, you can email them to stay Curious at hillcityrva.com. Um, make sure to rate, review us, and share so other people can get in on the conversation. And until next time, remember to stay curious. Curiosity.